Welcome back to Software Social. I'm Michelle Hansen. And I'm Colleen Schnettler. Hey, Colleen. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited to hear what you have to share with us this week since you didn't get to share last week since we did my little video intro. So what has been going on with you and your business? Honestly, not a whole lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and, Fair and I was thinking about this and and I think that's kind of one of the things when you get to this stage that you have weeks when you're just kind of doing like normal work, you know, dealing with invoices and cleaning up stuff from the past and responding when customers, you know, report a, an issue or, or bug with something and answering questions and, and, and not a whole lot happens. And that's kind of what's going on. I still think that's good for people to hear because I think when you, like me, as we've discussed, read a lot of like these really exciting startup stories, it makes it sound like it's so exciting all the time. And ultimately it's still a job. Like you're still doing kind of mundane, but important work. Yeah. I mean, it's the big project, if you can call it that, that I was working on this week was uh, a lot of things doing with invoicing. And, you know, we've been migrating customers over from QuickBooks to Stripe, which is just as thrilling as it sounds, let me tell you. <laughs> but it's also super necessary. And it's the kind of thing that you right. really have to do when you've got a business that's going and, and it's working. And you know, so for for a long time, we had it set up so that if customers paid us with a credit card, they paid via Stripe. But if they paid us any other way, you know, ACH, paper check, carrier pigeon, like that was all through QuickBooks. And I don't know why we did that. I think it's because we weren't using invoices for Stripe in, um, in a long time, for a long time. And, but that's created all sorts of accounting issues where when we actually want to make our financial statements in QuickBooks, which you know, things like insurance companies and, and whatnot want. Um, it always made such a mess in QuickBooks because there was like some payments would be counted twice. And then like, we didn't really have one true source of revenue uh, numbers. Um, and it was always like manually patching it together with spreadsheets. And so that just, you know, involved a lot of thing of, you know, setting up new subscriptions and checking once and twice and three times that everything is set up and, you know, it, like like it's interesting. You, you do a lot of things early on that, that don't scale and you do that intentionally because you don't know if you're going to be successful. And then when things do start working out, you, you kind of have to, you know, basically bat your own cleanup. Um, mm -hmm. And I did a lot of that actually in my in my first job. And I think that was such a valuable thing because I think it's something every business goes through, especially as they grow. Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean because I'm right in that very beginning stages where I don't know if this is going to work. And so I have absolutely made decisions that might be hard to change later if I have, if it is successful. And I can see that now, but um, I can see it now, but it doesn't seem like it's worth the time to put this really impressive architecture in place for, you know, my three customers. So I can, but I could definitely see, you know, where to work out down the line. It'd be like, all right, we got to really beef up, you know, change some of the things we made. Exactly. I mean, I think we're, we're looking at doing something like that pretty soon with how we um, handle failed payments. 
Um, so I mentioned we have most most of our customers are paying us via credit card, and when those payments fail, like usually the process right now is we just go through manually and follow up with them. Like they get emails from Stripe, they get emails from Intercom. Sometimes I have to, you know, oftentimes I email them personally, like from my own email, but I've had to go as far as like calling the front office and asking for the accounting department, DMing them on Twitter, like finding any random contact information, finding people on LinkedIn. Um, wow. And yeah. And, and it's always so satisfying when <laughs> you finally get it paid and you're like, wow, but I spent what, like six hours chasing that down for $150. Like, was that really the best use of my time? And so we've been kind of thinking through like how we might, um, how we might like automate some of that and, and, you know, introduce kinds of things like, you know, your, your account isn't paid. Like you can't do anything until you've paid up or like actually as of right now, even if you have an outstanding balance, people have to contact us in order to pay it. Like there isn't a way to do it in the dashboard like all of those small things I think um if you're using a product you don't realize that like every single one of those is a feature there's no like real you know there's no just sort of out of the box that comes with every single feature that you might need like deleting an account and changing your email address and updating your credit card and paying a pass like every single one of those is a feature and you're prioritizing that against something that's going to get new customers or um have existing customers, you know, you know, pay you more, add more features for them, right? Like there's like boring business improvements versus things like new features and, 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 um, you know, marketing related initiatives that are, you know, shinier objects. Yeah. That's actually kind of interesting. Um, that you guys are this far along and you're still handling all that manually. I also think there's a, and we've talked about this quite a lot, like what do you need to ship? And there's always this, this temptation, I think is a good word to put everything in place before you put anything out there. So it's encouraging to me, I guess is the right word to hear that. Like you guys are still handling some of that manually. Like those are things that you have been able to handle manually for quite a while. We didn't even have billing code when we launched, like we had integrated. It's amazing. Stripe, but like we literally didn't expect anyone to pay us and then you know and we had that sort of like monthly payment cycle and the first of the month came uh, a couple of weeks later and we're like oh we have to charge people today oh we forgot to um write the ability to charge people it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> amazing <laughs> yeah i mean all of those things are just you know gradual like like for a long time actually i think in stripe we were the way we were creating the payments was literally as individual payments. They weren't as invoices. And so if a payment failed, we had to manually go through and recreate the payment and retry it. And it was like that oh, wow. for like three or four years. Wow. So every month I would go through and recreate all of the payments when they failed. And then if those still failed, then like a week later I would do it again. And now at least since using invoices like Stripe will retry them. So it's it's amazing when you use the features of the products that are they're already there, right? Like like I think, you know, you kind of talk about this with like AWS sometimes. It's like there's so much there that it's you can't possibly do all of it at once. Um Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing improvement, but I think, especially once you get to a bigger scale, those kinds of things really add up monetarily and also in terms of time, right? Like, whereas, you know, when we first launched, if we had five failed payments and it took me an hour or two total to follow up with all of those, then that's not a lot of time. But if you, you know, if you've got, you know, 15 or or 20 or whatever, like each one of those, if you're spending half an hour on it each, right, like that adds up very, very quickly. Um, And thankfully, we usually have diligent customers who are businesses who are fine with paying us, right? I know this is much, much more challenging uh, when you're doing B2C. No operational improvements are are automatic and 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 they have to be weighed against the the shiny objects that that often win out until yeah. the boring stuff gets to a point where you're like, oh, this is this is gonna break or this is broken. Oh man, we have we okay, fine, fine, we'll find we'll do this now. Fine. <laughs> like that's usually how that conversation goes. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. All right. Well, it sounds like you were productive this week. Yeah. I did a lot of boring stuff. And you know what? The the boring stuff is good. The boring stuff, you know, makes the accountants happy, makes makes the insurer happy, makes me happy because I don't end up going in six months later and be like, oh my gosh, like that was never paid or um, you know, we've been allocating resources to someone and they actually canceled three months ago. Like those those are the kinds of things that, you know, everybody gets sloppy on them, but you can you really can only be sloppy on them once or twice, but otherwise they'll really start to to hurt. Yeah. But it's also kind of normal. Like, you know, um, you know, as I, I mentioned, I dealt with this in my first job and I would say that one of my favorite activities was what I just simply called finding money, which was when it turned out that we had accidentally like not build a client for six months, like um, because ha- things hadn't been centralized before I was in that role or other things. And I would just go into my boss's office and be like, guess what? I found $3,000 today. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's yes. just, it's so satisfying when you can um, close those things out. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough balance between the boring and the exciting. Yep, sure. Enough about my boring stuff, Colleen. What 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 do you got? This is this is the good stuff that people want to hear about right now. Well, I feel like I'm in a really exciting, you know, phase of this building a business, right? Like it just launched, so it's invite only. Um, I'm trying to get my. I haven't really started trying. I'm going to try next week to get my 10 users and it, you know, I'm full of energy and optimism right now. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of a nice feeling. Um, although I am aware as we've discussed before, like now is when the real work begins. But one exciting thing that happened to me is, um, a few people watched our video podcast last week and reached out to me and asked me if they could help me test the product. Yeah. And so, yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's so awesome. <laughs> I thought so. And so I asked them if they would do a call and, um, they agreed. So I have two calls next week with people who might want to use my product. That's so exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm really happy they did that. Um, yeah. If anyone else wants to use my product, please let me know. I think it'll be really nice to kind of get it in front of people 
see what their problems are and see if this is a solution that can meet other people's needs as well as my own need. So I'm kind of approaching it. We've talked about the difference before on this podcast between customer interviews and what do you call it? User interface. You guys were changing your dashboard and you were like, oh yeah. Oh, actually we released that this week and that was kind of exciting. Yay, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, there's usability testing, user interviews, but then there's also sort of user onboarding which maybe these calls mm-hmm. sounds like they're more like onboarding and sort of trying to figure out yeah. like what, what they're trying to solve, but, but in a very solution focused kind of way rather than a, the, the exploratory solution agnostic way that a customer interview often is. Right. Yes. Um, that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Um, I hope to, while I'm chatting with them to, yeah, see how the onboarding is at the moment. Cause it is very shaky. I mean, <laughs> the documentation, I just started writing the documentation, right? So the documentation is very sparse. And I, um, the nice thing about starting with a marketplace is that they force you to write really extensive documentation. So it's almost like it's kind of forcing you to have that discipline to actually write it down. Like I know people with great products and no documentation and they wonder why they can't sell it. Like what, like how do you launch something without telling anybody how to use it? I, I don't know. I think it's common with developers because we make this because it's the shiny object syndrome, right? It's fun to make the thing. It's not fun to spend hours and hours trying to write down how to use the thing that seems obvious to you because you created it. When So you're an electrical engineer. When you yes. were in college, did you ever have to write technical documentation? Like instead of having English class, did you have like tech, technical documentation writing class? No. Really? That wasn't a thing. Well, that was almost 15 years ago, and I think they have since learned, and I'm pretty sure they offer technical writing now. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm about to start this marketing journey, and I don't know anything about marketing. So Alex Hillman has a great article about this on Medium called The Fear of Beginning Again. And it's about how with the course he runs with Amy Hoy, how so many of their students are very talented designers and developers. And they're taking these designers and developers and they're trying to teach them a completely new skill. And how so much of the challenges their students face are psychology-based. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is he says, quote, but when these creative pros sat down to learn a new skill from scratch, where very few of their existing skills translate, they lose their freaking minds. And that really resonated with me because it's hard to start over and you've worked so hard to get where you are in your current craft or trade, you know, this whole concept of, wow, now I have to start over again and learn this new thing. So it's not bad. I'm excited about it. But at the same time, I've worked so hard to build competence in a specific field. It's almost like I'm changing fields and starting again. Anyway, so there's just a lot of like ego and like self-evaluation I'm finding kind of going down this path. It's really weird. Yeah. I think we all do a disservice when we discount other types of expertise, especially as bootstrappers when 
you know, you have to wear many different hats and sew your own hats as well. Like you have to be able to yes. do all of it. Like, you know, I like my, my background is as a product manager. It's it's not an accounting, uh, but I have to do that. And that's also something that my husband has to deal with as well because he's dealing with Stripe. Like he's not, you know, you have to do a lot of different things and be able to appreciate that things outside of your sort of home expertise are worthy and complicated and you know, capable of being interesting or even beautiful in their own right. Um, yeah. But to get us back on track, I know that you are a huge <laughs> reader of of books and, and you're just a voracious reader when it comes to doing anything new. And so I'm really curious what the resources are that you have honed in on as you start this marketing journey. Um, my resources are named Michelle. Oh, okay. Well, I have some <laughs> books for you. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions? Because I'm like totally new to marketing, but I know that I don't want to say it's easy to make good tech, but it's kind of easy to make good tech. Everyone has good tech. This is what's going to make or break it, whether it's this image service or whether it's a whole other business. Like I have to learn this stuff because this is going to make or break me when I, you know, if I want a real business. So let me know your recommendations. There's a really good one that um, a lot of people recommend as well called Obviously Awesome. Um, that's all mm -hmm. about writing, copy, and framing. Um, another one I really like is creating a story brand, which you may seem like for a technical product, like how does that, how does that apply? Right? Like, you know, I think, I think it's very clear how it applies in B2C, but in, in, in B2B it applies as well. And basically the idea of that is that your product is not the star of the show. It's actually the user and the person buying it like they are the hero and your what your product does is it elevates them to do what they do better or or faster and and it's so fascinating because it goes into how um storytellers you know people who write movies and and books and whatnot how they construct stories and how you have the main character of the story but Maybe they have a goal or maybe they don't know what it is, but then they meet this guide who helps steer them in a direction and helps them refine their goal. And they, the hero goes through a journey and, and whatnot. And it's basically saying that, you know, your product is not the hero. Your product is the guide. And so how do you frame that in your copy that it's not just this is an image management service. This is spend more time on, on things that are impactful for your clients or, or, or like whatever those sorts of, um, things are, you know, I, um, actually I'm reminded of, of my, 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 one of my brother-in-laws, he launched a sort of handyman and lawn maintenance business in January of this year. And we were like talking to him about like what his slogan should be and, and, and whatnot. And I remember some of the early drafts of it were things like, you know, we handle all of the things you don't want to, or we can do all of this or, and it was like very much framed out like what the company could do. Right. And we're like, but how do we frame this from, from, from the customer's perspective? And the slogan he ended up coming up with, I think was along the lines of, your house can look good. 
because it's something that people wanted to believe about themselves. They wanted to believe about their house, but they need a guide in the form of his company to get there. So it's not that his company is the hero that comes in and saves the day, which I, like a lot of products kind of frame themselves that way. That like, we're going to save you from what you're dealing with right now. It's instead, no, like you are capable of more and our company will just give you that little push that you needed to get there. Like it was already within you. You know, I, I, am I talking about the karate kid or whatnot right now, or am I talking about landing pages? Right. Um, and so, and so obviously awesome and, and, and story brand are two really good places to start. They're not going to be super in depth on like, you know, these are the parts of a great landing page and, and this is how you optimize for SEO and, 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 and all the things like that, but they'll give you at least a good start to thinking about it from your customer's perspective and, and, and the kinds of things that you need there and, and the way you write about them too. Yeah, I took a stab at, at trying to, after we did our video podcast last week, I felt like I didn't explain it to you very well, like rewatching it. So I took a stab at kind of like narrowing down those bullet points. And that's what I was like, oh, this is really hard. Like I know why it's great, but but how do you frame that in a different way? So that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that check out those resources. Do you have any drafts of that framing that you've come up with so far? Why, yes, I do. Now, I was not intending to share this this early, but this is what I got so far. Dead simple file uploading and storage. Simple file upload handles all the heavy lifting of uploading user files to the cloud, returning a CDN URL for you to use whenever you need. Exclamation point. Do you think that frames the product as the hero or the guide? The hero. Because I'm, I'm not, now that you've just said that, like I'm not saying anything about how I'm guiding you to have a better life. Yeah. And you, I just thought of one of my favorite ex, um, places to find examples of good marketing is actually good marketing on Twitter. I think they just changed the name to like Harry's marketing examples or what it was, it was called good marketing for a while. And he basically just does a ton of product teardowns. I'll, I'll dig up the exact link to the Twitter account and, um, and put it in the transcript. Um, so good. Like, like he goes through different landing pages and says like, this is why this is good. And and this is what they're doing here. And, and I get so many ideas from that. Awesome. That's exactly it. I feel like I need to Im start immersing myself in that world because I, like I said, I don't interact with that world at all. So yes, that's the kind of content I want to be getting into now is like that kind of stuff to get an idea. Cause I'm telling you that little snippet sentence that was not impressive I was like, that took me a while. Like, I mean, it, it was uh, not as easy as the marketing people make it look. It's hard. And, and I'll say like, I looked at marketing examples for a long time, but until I read those books, I didn't really get why they worked. And I didn't really know how to frame things uh, myself. Like, you know, take those examples and then transform that inspiration into something that works for our products. It, it became a lot easier, like having those, those books as the underpinning. And especially if you're already doing customer interviews, you're going to have a library, whether that's, you know, in, in notion or in your head of 
what are the things my customers are saying? What are the things they're frustrated about? What are the ways they describe uh, what they're frustrated about and, and ways they describe their process? And how can I use those words that they are already using to you know, create marketing that puts them as the hero? It's, it's really, really hard. I definitely don't think I have it figured out by any means. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I'm hoping that talking to these guys next week will just help me figure out, you know, if their problem is that, do they frame their problem in the same way? For all I know, they're framing their problem a completely different way or they're attacking it a different way. So I'm really um, excited and grateful for their time and excited to kind of see how this impacts them in terms of what they want to build. The interesting thing is they're both um, fellow indie hackers. They both have small sasses. So it makes me think I had originally thought, and this is only two people. Okay. So this is, is not to base a decision on, but one of the things we talked about with my product specifically is it's aimed at developers, but most developers, especially developers with like a full-time job, they're going to have some really complicated solution they spent hours on and probably already works. Whereas what I'm building might be more appropriate for um, people who are trying to get something together quickly, people who have a SaaS, as we t discussed many, many um, episodes ago, people in the no-code space that just want a thing they can just throw in there. Um, so I'm kind of, like I said, I'm excited to kind of start looking at these different avenues and and see see where it goes. Yeah. I I, I bet there are some no-coders listening to our podcast. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing now. And I'd be really curious to see if if, if they experience this problem too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, that's a, an avenue I really want to learn more about cause I don't do a lot with no code. So I'm, I'm pumped to kind of learn more about that. Um, and, and see what that's all about. And don't make decisions based on two people. The I will. absolute minimum not, is like, five people before you really like, and that's, and that's if you've, if you've heard the same thing basically from those five people, then okay, that that's a pretty strong directional signal, but um, I mean, I've, I've had so many times when, you know, when, when, especially when I first started doing user interviews and user testing, like you, you put it in front of one person and it doesn't make sense. And then you change it and then you do the next person and actually they need it another way. And you're like, ah, I could have saved myself so much work just by being patient. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, so I got to get my 10 people signed up. So I hope to do that next week. Um, and, you know, of those 10 people how many are actually using it as we've talked about and how many are just like being nice and being my friend and getting me into beta. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but of the people who are actually like interested in using it, I'm going to try and talk to as many of them that will talk to me. Um, cause I think, you know, that'll really help me just kind of see where people are and, and where their thought processes are. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's, what's been going on. So like the launch it's it's just exciting. I mean, it's just kind of nice. I think we've talked about this before as well. Like I just needed the psychological win. Yeah. Like of, of shipping something like I totally get the, the, um, concept of you should definitely talk to people before you build anything. I understand that. And when I hear about really successful businesses, most of them did that, right? They talked to customers before they built anything. But I am just in a point where I just need the psychological win of shipping something. And so I'm pumped. So I'm good. Like I'm excited. And I hope that, you know, when we talk next week, I've at least signed up the 10 people. I can't get to beta till I'm done all my documentation. So that's quite a lot of work as well. Like they have very specific requirements and like ways they want you to structure your documentation in um, the marketplace. So 
I don't think I'll be in beta next week. We'll see how everything else goes in life. But uh, yeah, I'm like in that kind of fun, exciting, just getting rolling stage. Exciting. Well, till next week. Yep. Um, thank you for listening. You can reach us at on Twitter at Software Pod. And we'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Conbini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.